becoming the magician. You covered your soles and the heels of your hands, hid coins in the lining of your coat. Let this not be the last that I have, you thought. Let it not, let it not, let it not. A too tight lid obstructs air, traps steam, what breathes, bubbles over, or must perish. You did not perish. Raised the heels of your hands to the sky and said, I can hold this to anything that you were given. And for a time you did, even juggled to make room for more until your arms grew tired. Still, you did not perish. Raised the heels of your hands to the sky and said, what flows through me is huge, which is how what I hold now weighs nothing. Welcome to Millennial Mystics, a podcast about modern mysticism and the people making it theirs. Together, we explore all angles of mystical subjects for both beginning and advanced practitioners and bring marginalized voices front and center. Prepare to laugh, learn, and decondition. So grab a pen and your grimoire and let's get going. Welcome back, friends. Today we are discussing the tarot. So excited. I know. This is, this is the episode that like I have been anticipating the whole time because tarot for me is my longest studied tradition. So yes, yeah, very excited, guys. I'm excited about it too. I've always had like a fascination with the tarot. I remember back in the AOL days. <laughs> I would sometimes go, they had like a little, um, they, they definitely had like a little woo-woo section on AOL that I remember going to and like being like, and my secret, my secret internet browsing, no porn, just tarot. That's what New it was. Batty with no Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to get into today, we're going to give you guys a little bit of background on the tarot and its origins. We're going to talk about how, bo- how we both came to it. <clears throat> And then we're going to get into the particulars about different kinds of decks. And like, we're going to give you, we're not going to go through every card that would take us like, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Like, absolutely. We could, we could talk about every card for like an hour. Like, let's oh, be yeah. real. Absolutely. But so, yeah. Okay. So we're going to give you like a good overview and like get into some little like things to keep in mind. Like we'll cover the suits, we'll cover face cards. Like we're going to cover some of the basics. So that's what we're going to, yeah. you walk and away with a good understanding. 
And because we're going to be using this in all of our future episodes, there will be elements of tarot in every episode. Um, This is going to give you at least like a starting point to be able to follow along. Um, So that being said, what, what one of our plans are, what one of our plans are? I think is it's one is what one of our plans is plans is yes. Yeah. Yes. Edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No. Good grammar. Yeah, now you Keep can, going. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, one of our plans is to use tarot as a way to give readings to our guests. Um, so we'll actually be explaining the cards in the readings. So having like the nitty gritty of each card isn't necessary, but it will be helpful to understand, you know, why we're pulling them at all. Um and which decks we're working from and things like that. So, yeah. So you'll get a basic understanding and this will be good for, like with all of our episodes, good for newbies and oldies. Like hopefully everybody comes and finds something new that they can incorporate. So, mm-hmm. so on that note, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the history of the tarot. Now there's a really good episode that does a much better job of going into the history of what's like common, like the deck that's most famous right now. I mean, right now, like since the 20, start of the 20th century. <clears throat> but tarot has been around for hundreds of years. And it they believe it started around like the 16th, 17th centuries mm. in Italy and France. Although they've sent, they've also found similar decks like in Germany and some other places. So the concept has been there for a long time, but it was, it was literally meant as a game for most, most of that time. It only came out as like a tool for divination in 1791. So before then, really what these decks were about, you played a game similar to bridge, which I don't know anything about bridge, but I know it is a card game. So, um, so rich families, the way you got like these um, cards that didn't fit into the suits is that families would basically ask game makers to make cards that depicted members of the family and their like friend network. So it was a way to bring them into the game somehow. I don't know the rules. I just know that that's what it was. All I've done is like read a few articles on the internet. So clearly I'm able to give a TED talk on the tarot now. <laughs> One of them internet degrees. So <laughs> welcome to being a millennial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the first time we really see the element of divination coming up when it comes to tarot was in 1791. And that came from a book that was written by a teacher and publisher named Jean-Baptiste Alliette. There you and go. Yes. Thank you. I've been practicing French sounds. So <laughs> he had this like cuckoo theory. He just like went off and like was like, it's a, the cards are encoded with some kind of mystical shit that came from ancient Egypt. And it has to do with all their gods and goddesses. And you can like, you can basically predict the future, yada, yada. He wrote like a whole book on this, but he he did it under a pseudonym. I think that that, was that his pseudonym? No, no, no. Yeah, he, he that his pseudonym was literally like Aliette spelled backwards. So very clever, very clever, sir. Um, and his theory was like all the tarot and uh, iconography and everything from it came from ancient Egypt and it was brought to Europe 
by Romani people and that they brought, they brought all of that symbolism and made the card game what it was. There is literally nothing to back it up. It's like saying aliens created Stonehenge. It's like, there's no, literally no, uh, research on that topic. No one has ever, ever found any correlation of the Romani people ever being in Egypt or coming from Egypt or anything like that. Yeah, he's basically, yeah. Jean-Baptiste Belliet is like basically the Giorgio Tsoukalos of... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like basically... It's aliens, yeah. guys. It's aliens. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, don't... He was just talking out of his ass because like that is the history of white white male, like white male men who have been in power for so long. Okay. So he was just like, I'm gonna write this book and everyone's going to believe it. And but they what do. It did, yeah. <laughs> and it set off, like it made it really popular because like, he was like, the church is trying to hide it. They didn't want this to come out. So of course everybody was like, oh my God, I need a tarot deck. Like oh, that's yeah. how it started. And how do you sell alt- stuff? Make a conspiracy theory. <laughs> a thousand percent. There's There's also like some, uh, there was a theory I read online that I found really interesting that said it kind of um, how the game evolved into something that's divination, where the game wasn't really exactly something like Bridge. It was more of a storytelling game. So each card would mean something a little different and you would have to come up with like a story based on the visualization of what was on the cards, like all those pictures. Like so, mixing you know, Mad Libs yeah. with um, charades. Yeah, it was something like that. So you can That's see That's awesome. How, I think I, I know. grab my deck and play that. <laughs> I, I would totally play that. So yes. it was basically like, you know, you'd pull, it'd be somebody's turn and people would pull a few cards and you had to like make the meanings all match. So I'm, I'm, I can see that easily turning into a, divination thing like say you come up with some wackadoodle theory and then it happens like that story ends up happening to somebody even if it's something silly and simple like you're gonna get a bunch of tomatoes at like from somebody somebody's gonna gift you a bunch of tomatoes this week and uh then you're gonna slip and fall and they're gonna like smash all around you you know what i mean like yeah you can come up with something silly and stupid and if it were to come (laughs) true People Suddenly. would be like, oh my God, the yeah. tarot predicted it. So I think that that's probably like the most solid theory on the evolution of yeah. how it went from being a card game to something that was uh, a little more mystical. Yeah. Now the tarot w- that we know now that um, people are find like the, the most popular one, like the one that you see in bookstores and all of that, the one that's like in a bright yellow box that um historically has been referred to as the writer weight deck and yes. there and there's a great um the podcast mystic has a great history on that specific deck which we'll link to in the show notes that was um it was named for the publisher and the guy who wrote the book that like is the little guy telling you all the meanings of the cards what is not surprising is that the woman who illustrated them was pushed out of that Yep. Naming process. So mm-hmm. now, and as we will be moving forward, we are going to refer to it as the Coleman Weight deck because or I will, I'll pop, probably yeah. the Weight Smith, Weight Smith, or Weight Coleman. Either one of those because we are bringing that bitch back. Like she, yes. deci- she deserves the credit. She's Pamela, the one who made 
Yes. Pamela, Pamela Coleman Smith. Yes. I actually, I have a book for you guys to check out that, um, if you're curious about her and sort of like the background of Pamela Coleman Smith, um, the Pamela Coleman Smith, the untold story by Stuart R. Kaplan. It's a great big book, humongous, wonderful, um, illustrations in it. So definitely a good coffee table book. If you want something to talk about and then your guests are like, what is this? And then you're like, let me read your cards now. <laughs> yeah. That's Grab a that not book. so subtle way to do it. Yeah. yeah. But it's beautiful. Yeah. So it, she's, she's the one who's been, who uh, did all the illustrations and, a lot of imagery, like even though you'll see bajillions of different kinds of tarot decks, a lot of it harkens back to all of her imagery because she conveyed the meanings of the cards so well with the images that she painted. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good segue into like, what are the different kinds of decks or do we, should we talk about our own histories with tarot? Um, let's get into the different kinds of decks because yeah. kind of my, my own personal, um, history with tarot is kind of tied up in that. The different decks, I, I think it's important to go over them before we get into the histories of it because I I read from all different types of decks and that's not where I started. So we'll get into, into personal stuff um, after going through it a bit, I think. So the Rider Waite or the Waitsmith system, um, I'm going to consistently refer to it as a system because the way that you read the individual cards, their meanings are different than other systems. So the other system that is commonly used is the Tarot de Marseille. And the biggest difference between them is the minor arcana. So they have pretty much the same major arcana. A couple of the cards are switched around as far as the numbers go. Um, But uh, the minor arcana looks completely different. And the Terra de Marseille, it looks more like a traditional deck of playing cards. It just has the symbols and numbers. There's no illustrations involved in the minor arcana for that system. Just like you would see with like, you know, in playing cards with like 10 of hearts, it's just 10 hearts. Like it's exactly in tarot. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and they, like both systems use the um, swords, the... Um, wands, the pentacles or coins that's interchangeable, and then the cups. So that's the same across both systems. Um, Separate from that, which we're not going to get into in great detail, but you also have oracle decks, which do not use either system. None of the images involved in oracle decks are going to be reminiscent of tarot, Um, but they are divination cards and they do deserve to be mentioned in this episode, just in case we do bring up an oracle deck um, in future episodes, because I tend to read with oracle decks pretty often. Yeah. So that's going to be super individual to the author of the deck. It's going to be like whatever imagery and messaging they come up with. It's just going to be a totally different system in onto itself. Correct. Yeah. And different Oracle decks are going to be completely different. It is completely author-based. Yeah. Very cool. So now I think we can get into our how we came to it. How, I mean, you've been, you've been at it for forever. So I'll go first since mine's shorter. (laughs) I I know I'm, I'm my, this might be the, the part of the episode where I just ramble on and on. So, okay. If you want to go. Yeah. uh, So I'm going to start. Yeah. Okay. So, 
So I came to tarot. I mean, I you guys know about my background coming from a very religious Catholic family. So despite my AOL curiosity, I this was not something I really engaged in until, you know, I hit my late 20s and started exploring this. So I had at that point I had finally like left the Catholic Church and I was kind of um unmoored when it came to spirituality. And so something that things that had become like in the past had been like fun things started to take on more meaning for me. So for me, spirituality is all about self-reflection and self-accountability. So I turned to astrology was one of those things and tarot was one of the others as well. So it went from being like something that was for funsies, you know, I had a deck or two, but it became like a part of a of a self-reflective practice. So for example, I would pull a card in the morning and like journal on that topic. If see if there was any correlation with my life, what was going on. And I, you know, I highly recommend that as a activity for anybody who's getting into it because you get to know your cards really well. But that's really where it started. And then like it just kind of ramped up from there. And that's actually how Kaylee and I kind of got back together. Like was she became my teacher in the tarot. And like teaching me to trust my instinct, trust my interpretations of the cards and how I could read for other people, like, you know, giving me tips on spreads and whatever. Like, I think I was doing really complicated spreads, spread, spreads before I came to you. And you were like, you know, you don't, you don't really need to do more than like three cards at a time. And so that was um, happy news for me. So, yes, so that's really where it started. And now I've got, I mean, I've got three tarot decks. I don't have any Oracle decks, but I am in the market for them. So if you have suggestions, let me know. Come find me. Um, yes. But my decks that I have, my first one is called Celestial Tarot. And it uses the symbolism of astrology and constellations and Greek mythology in the cards. And that deck is by Kay Steventon and Brian Clark. It's gorgeous, but it's probably, it's the deck I'm least connected to now, which is funny. Cause I think like I bought it from a place of like, I really want a tarot deck. And I like this one, most of the ones that are here. So I will get it rather than kind of being more thoughtful in my selection process. The next deck that I got is the Tarot of the Absurd. That's by Jessica Rose Shanahan. She's a Canadian-based artist. And it's probably the deck I go to most I love that deck. I love it. it's so beautiful. It's all black and white. The absurdist art is so fantastic. And the imagery really resonates with me. So like, that's typically what I use for card pulls or... If I'm reading, like when people come over and they're like, oh, bring out your cards, bring out your cards. That's when I go to because it's like I'm most connected to it. The imagery is the clearest for me and I'm like just really connected to it. And then my last deck that I have is my Salvador Dali deck by Taschen, I believe. is It's a German company. They um, It was a partnership between Dali and a German tarot expert the tarot expert wrote the book. Dali did all of the illustrations, but I believe Dali was the one who was like, I want to do a tarot deck. <laughs> so he, yeah, everybody. <laughs> it's, and it's so gorgeous. It's exactly as in, as like batshit nuts as you would expect it to be. It's very funky, very surrealist, gorgeous, bright colors. Um, I use that for anybody who's got like artsy vibes to them. Mm-hmm. I always use it for artists. So 
You also always use it for work-related readings. I do, yes, because I um, it I she does um long-term views. She likes to say so. That's like you know you get to know your decks and like the kind of things they do, what they specialize in. So my Tarot of the Absurd, like I did an interview spread and we'll get into all of that later. And the message she had for me is like, I'm an optimist. I'm not going to like give you uh, bad news for people. Like it's going to be very sugar-coated. So that is actually my deck that I use for beginners because the messages are always very pleasant, even if they are, there's not nothing negative, but it's like if it's, uh, you know, information on things that are not so pleasant, it's delivered in a very gentle way. Mm. So. Yeah. And my Dolly deck is very much long-term, so it's good for career. I like using it for career readings for people, work and business and career. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are my three decks. That's my story. I love it. Oh. Yeah. It's having three decks as somebody who identifies as fairly new to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're not. I mean, like, I know, that's I the know. thing is that being studying tarot, you're always new to it. It doesn't matter how long you study. So... Um, I've been reading tarot since I was 11 or 12. I can't remember exactly when I'm pretty sure I was 12, but it could have been earlier. Um, and I, my, my parents were, as we talked about in the, um, intro episode, definitely very encouraging of all of my spiritual exploration. Um, but the things that were not allowed in the house were tarot cards and Ouija boards. <laughs> that was not allowed. Not uh, at my good Catholic home. Nope. No. So yeah, it took, a, it took a little while for my mom to come around to that. Um, but I would, you know, wandering down the, you know, library aisles on spiritualism or spirituality. Um, I, I read through books about tarot and I wish I could remember which ones I had read at that time because they, I'm sure would be really fascinating (laughs) for people to look through now. But I mean, it was so long ago that I, I honestly can't remember what they were. Um, but I did eventually um, save up my allowance pennies and my babysitting money and bought a deck in secret because <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> of course. Yeah. My and, sweet Pisces heart was just like, no, okay. I do whatever the rules say of me. <laughs> that hurts your feelings. I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm in the dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, my first deck was the um, Hanson Roberts deck, which I still read from. And, you know, talking about sugarcoating like that, that's a deck that, um, its imagery is kind of like a softened, sweeter version of the Waitsmith deck. And it also gives readings like that, that it's, it's a softer version of things. Um, and I read with that for years, I mean, decades really at this point. And, um, I love how you describe that deck. You've told you've described it to me as your precious moments deck. Oh yeah, no, it's like <laughs> like the way that the the figures are drawn on it is very precious momentsy. Um, yeah. And it's funny actually, since telling you that it reminds me like it's kind of precious moments like. 
Um, I have now an image of the fool card in precious moments. Oh my God. And I don't know if they, if there's a whole deck of it, but there is that image, Mm. um, which is adorable and hilarious. And I want a whole deck of it because my my mom loves precious moments and I would absolutely give her that deck. Oh my God. Precious moments. Don't just, don't disappoint us. Make us a tarot deck, please. 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 So, um, so yeah, I read with that deck for a long, 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 long time. And, um, it was really my like deep dive into it. So I, um, with that deck, it's one of my only decks that actually reads reversals. And we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about, um, spreads and, and like how to read and things like that. Um, but, after a while, and for various reasons, I lost connection with this deck and ended up in the market for another one. And so with this one, I set out with a lot more intention. When I had bought my Hanson Roberts deck, it was from Barnes and Noble because I wasn't going to some metaphysical, excuse me, some metaphysical store because, you know, no tarot cards in my house, my mom said. <laughs> and so I had to go to the bookstore and um, the only options that they had were the Rider weight deck, which for me, like I, I didn't connect with the imagery in that one. Like the yellow of the box was just off putting for me. I, I, I wasn't into it. Um, and then there was another one, which looked a little too cartoony and I can't remember exactly which deck that was, but it, it was, you know, some Barnes and Noble deck. And then my last option was this um, Hanson Roberts deck, and I still love it, you know, um, but I needed something that felt more me. So I went on the hunt for something very minimalist. I had gotten so familiar with the um, Smithwaite um, imagery that I needed something that challenged me a bit more. And I searched around and eventually landed on um, the Dreslin tarot deck. And the thing that got me in that deck was the death card. And if you guys look it up, it is basically like just a black card. There's no imagery on it. All the rest of the cards are white with like, you know, very simple pared down, um, symbolism. And the death card is just solid black. And I was like, sold, that's it. Scorpio and me totally satisfied. Let's do it. And that deck is very minimalist in the way it gives readings. It is um, stark. Stark is a great way yeah, to put it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you if you are new to tarot, the cards themselves are easier to look at because like you're not looking at a, a grotesque image of the devil when you pull the devil card or, you know, like some of the other cards that are very difficult to look at. A lot of the swords can be um, very scary to see. Uh, but so you're, you're you know, sort of uh, pardoned with, with the simple imagery there, but the readings themselves can be harsh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that that deck is not one that has patience. Um, so yeah. And then after that, I 
um, dabbled a little bit more in Oracle decks. I was gifted the Animal Spirit deck from Kim Kranz of The Wild Unknown. Uh, that and deck I, is cool. That's gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I love the system that she created for it. It's just, it's, it's wonderfully intuitive and incredible guidance, wonderful things to meditate on, and a great perspective on um, animal like meditations because, and she gets into it um, more in the book. So I'll let you read it, but like, do not come to this podcast and ask me what your spirit animal is because I will send you the fuck away. Like we are not doing that shit here. No no appropriation here, folks. Absolutely Absolutely not. not. And Mm -hmm. this deck does not do that. And it is wonderful, 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 wonderful. If you want to understand that animal um, you know, sort of, uh, archetype, then that's a great place to do it. So I have a question. Okay. What's, how can somebody tell the difference between like if, whether they have a deck that is based on the Smith Coleman system versus the Tarot de Marseille, will it say in the deck that it's based on that? Or like, how do you, how can you tell? So the quickest way to tell is uh, in the minor arcana. So it's going to be really, really obvious there. The um, uh, Smith-Waite system has a uh, minor arcana where every card is illustrated and has um, symbolism and the meaning on the card itself. Tarot de Marseille is going to be um, just the suits. It will literally look like a deck of playing cards. You know, it'll just have the numbers and either like the number of swords pictured or the number of cups pictured or whatever. It's going to have zero symbolism. Okay. Uh, That's, I mean, like I thought so. And I know you mentioned that. I just wanted to be clear. Just wanted to make sure. So that's, I mean, that's good to delineate. So the other thing that is worth noting on the Tarot de Marseille versus the Smith-Waite system is that um, there are a couple of numbering differences in the major arcana. So the Tarot de Marseille doesn't have symbolism on the cards themselves because the idea is that you read one through 10 in the suits as parallel to one through 10 in the major arcana. So like an ace in Tarot de Marseille is going to be the magician through the filter of the suit, right? Ah, Which is probably a great segue into the major arcana and all of the suits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. So, um, so yeah, the, the decks are split into two. Right. The major arcana are all the ones that we're familiar with, you know, like very stereotypical tarot, the death card or the lovers or whatever. Um, And then the minor arcana are four suits. You have cups, you have um, pentacles or coins, depending on um, which deck you're using. Or stars. I recently found that out. Some decks use stars. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then you have swords and wands. And each of the suits also coordinates with like an element. So wands are related to fire. Um, swords are related to air. Uh, coins are related to earth and cups are related to water. And they go one through 10. 
And then they have royal cards um, or face cards or however you want to call them. Um, Page, knight, queen, and king. So all the suits have all of those. Um, We're going to get into those. We're going to get into all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in the major arcana, we'll start there. Um, This is the case for both the Smith-Waite system and the Tarot de Marseille. Um, The major arcana are meant to be considered significant life events. And they go zero to 21. So you have a total of 22 cards involved in the major arcana. And the idea is that through our life's journey, we are meant to experience all of them at least once. Most of us are going to have to go through all of them multiple times. <laughs> it's you like know, cyclical, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's definitely cyclical, and that's why there is that zero card to remind us that everything loops back around. Um, so zero is the fool, and I'm not going to get into the details of every single card, but I do think that that card is an important one to sit with um, in a foundational episode of tarot because it can sit at the very beginning of the major arcana or at the very end. It's kind of like the alpha omega of the major arcana. And the energy of the fool is that like sort of beginner Zen mind that you are brand new to life and starting from nothing with the clearest perspective, right? And right. there are, yeah, it doesn't mean that you are foolish. It can. What it, what it <laughs> right. Well it 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 really conveys that um feeling of like you don't know what you don't know, but you're so excited to learn. Exactly, exactly. And so the beauty of that energy is that it it should be present throughout your whole journey, but it is especially potent at the beginning of it and at the end of it. And it's kind of like, I always say that like the, the year that you make the worst decisions is 19. <clears throat> Cause it's the time when you think, you know, the most, but you, you know, like the 19, least like 19 <laughs> years old. Yes, 19 years old. I say that like it's you you hit this age so and you're specific. like it is, but it is it is <laughs> anecdotally true at least. Okay. So if you think about like when you were 19 years old, it's a time when you thought you were the shit, you thought you had things figured out, but you also made some of the worst decisions and you were like, "Wow, I knew nothing." Like I truly knew nothing. And so the fool is kind of that energy of like not like at least like no being aware of your nothingness. Yeah. But it's kind of like, you know, once you become a master of something, you become a student again because right. you have to like learn, learn a new skill or learn to like get to a new level. Well, yeah, absolutely. And one of my, so I, I absolutely love full energy and one of my favorite books that I feel like really encompasses like a meditation on the fool is this, it's a book on Zen called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And um, highly recommend read for everybody. It doesn't even matter about tarot or anything else. Like this is just a great book to to add to um, your spiritual knowledge. But it 
really dives into making a practice of letting go of knowing Mm. and just experiencing and how experience is the meditation and that that's all the fool wants. The fool knows that there is something to learn out there, but the only way to learn it is to go. Right. Yeah. And so that's in that way, it's the start of a journey. Absolutely. But it's also the end of one because if you know that you've learned everything where you are, you have to go out again. Yep. So So um, it really is. I I love that card. And it's it's funny that it's called the fool um, because it really does have this connotation of being foolish um, and something worth ridicule. But um, that's full of wisdom. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, like, that's the beauty of the major arcana in general is you take a card like death where it's really fear-inducing for people, you know, especially with um, certain decks, the imagery that they use is is pretty gruesome. Um, Not to mention, like, how we see it on TV and movies. Like, that's always a scare factor that people like to use when we see tarot displayed. Oh, they pull the death card, and it's like, oh, a death sentence. You know, like, it's uh, culture isn't doing us any favors on the death card. No. And, I mean... I don't know, whatever, (laughs) another episode culture, (laughs) we'll get into that. But um, it's the idea of death through tarot is really more of how does the metaphor of death translate into the experiences that we're having. Um, And the one of my favorite practices on this is sitting with the the card, the major arcana card for a day and meditating on all of the nuances of what that could mean for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you can, if you really want to get into it, you can do that with any of the cards in the deck, but I find that the, the major arcana is especially potent. And once you really get into the major arcana, um, studying the rest of tarot falls into place much more easily. Yeah, I would agree with that. <clears throat> Are there any so, cards that um, you particularly relate to in the major arcana? Because I mean, we can't go through all of them. That would be a podcast episode for every single one. But let's, we could talk about our faves. So I, I can't pick favorites because I can't pick my favorite children. Like that's, you know, that's going to be a difficult thing for me to answer. Right. But I do, um, I do have in numerology, there is um, a sort of parallel between tarot and numerology where you get your birth cards. And so Mine are, um, I'm blanking on one of them, but the main one is the Empress. And so Empress energy is something that I have a complicated relationship with. Um, And so I force myself to sit with that energy often. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a favorite, but it is something that I like have a, a, token of or yeah uh, I don't know a how. connection or something yeah yeah and um 
Birth cards are the hanged man and um, the empress, which is a really interesting combination. Um, so I wouldn't call them my favorites, but they they are certainly um, something that I carry with me to to think on daily and sort of like my life path. Um, I do find um, that I really enjoy pulling the sun for people just because it's really, you know, such a happy card to pull. It's such a happy card to pull. It's like giving the best news possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I also relish the challenge of pulling the devil for people. Um, And it's when it comes up, it is an interesting reflection on on what they're experiencing and depending on what cards are around it you can kind of guess why it came up um but it's not like devil worship guys it's not like that it's like more like um i'd like to say like indulgence temptation or things like that it is but it's also um rebellion yeah and um independence yeah (laughs) um High satanic feminists out there. (laughs) Um, So I like pulling it for people. And then with the context of whatever cards are around it, you can get an idea like why this energy has come up in their life and why they need it or why they need to face it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I can't choose favorites, though. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. I, well, have- I can choose. I can choose favorites. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, I love the high priestess. I yeah. always pull her for myself. And what's funny is that, like, when you gave me my numerology birth card, she was one of my birth cards. So yeah. that's really funny to me. But I, yeah, I mean, that card really represents a lot of my journey, both before and after. I discovered like my own spirituality just because so much of it has been defined by my intuition and whether I've been in touch with it or not. And, you know, I've had periods in my life where I've struggled to connect with it or like I've had these moments where I'm like, maybe I don't know, don't know shit. Maybe I'm not qualified. Maybe I'm not this. Maybe I'm not that. And I love the imagery in my deck the tarot of the absurd for the high priestess because she's like so eager to show you what's in this book that she's like climbing over her desk to show you. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the energy I'm in now. Like it's embracing my intuition and being so excited about what I'm able to offer to other people that I can hardly hold back and that I'm leading them to their intuition too. Yeah. So I've always, I've always had a fondness for the high priestess um, and we've talked about Queen of Pentacles for me, how I how I feel about her. But we'll get to oh, that. But that's when, minor arcana when we get yeah. into the minor arcana. So yeah, but yeah, and then pulling cards for other people. Um, I love pulling the Tower because it's it scares people. I love pulling the scary cards for people because it it gives me an opportunity to like reassure them. Really. Like ev- people think of the tower as like, you know, something scary along in like in the same vein as the death card. And for me, I'm always like, you know, don't freak out. What this means is like things are going to break down in order to rebuild. That's really like how I'm able to say it. But like whenever I see it, I'm like, oh, man, you've been going through it, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. That's, uh, that is one of the beauties of being a reader for people is that 
um, you know, with someone that you may not know at all that, you know, we're still the trusted person to guide through such, you know, potent energy. Um, but that is knowing the tarot, you know, you know that after the tower comes the star in the darkness, Mm -hmm. you can see that, that glint of light that says there's hope. And so, yeah, when you study the major arcana and you see the progression through all 22 of the cards and then loop back around again, you really do see how the experiences and the trials and tribulations of life unfold and how we have these highs and lows and that that's the point of living. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really the symbolism of that is, is so beautiful and it's, it's wonderful to meditate on. I think that's why so many people are called to it now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what we're going to get into. We're going to leave it at that. Now we're going to get into the minor arcana because yeah, so, two of us could talk all day. For sure. Um, <laughs> so the minor arcana is instead of those like big punctuation marks in life that the major arcana stands for, the minor arcana are more of the steps of the journey um, than they are the destination. And they illuminate a lot of things that are like happening in your life um, on a very sort of um, relatable mundane, for lack of a better term, um, level. And in the Smith-Waite system, they the numbers fall, follow kind of like a vague pattern. Like most of the fives have the same theme just with the filter of the, um, of the suit. Yeah. And that's generally the case, but not explicitly through all of the numbers. The, the sword suit tends to deviate quite a bit from the other ones as far as patterns go. Um, but do you, I have a, a quick question. Do you have like a shorthand for remembering what the suits are about? You mean like the... You know, like um, like what cups stand for? Yes, what, yes. So yes, I use the I I think of the elements mm. in that. So I, I use the um, elements as kind of like a hallmark for the energy that's going on there. So in the case of wands, because it's fire, it's very action oriented. It's movement. Um, it's it's that very fiery energy. Um, for swords, it's because it's air, it's very intellect related. Air is related to our mind. Um, so decision making, um, you know, anything that requires thought and analyzation and, um, you know, mind related mm. things. Yeah. Um, and coins, pentacles, stars, all of that is earth. So resource related, whether you want to be um, literal with it, with money, or if you want to think of it as just any sort of material resource, your body is um, something that the coins will speak to um, thematically and, you know, just your physical world around you. Um, 
And then cups, because it's water, it has to do with emotions. Um, yeah. Pretty much anything in the cup suit has uh, has to do with your emotions. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I have mine's kind of similar, at least for cups. I'm like, like to me, it's all about like water equals emotion. But for me, I'm like relationships. I always say, but it's not necessarily love relationships. It's any relationship where there's going to be emotion, which like you can't really have a relationship without some emotion attached to it. So I'm like business partner. It could be like your relationship to yourself family, like romantic and anything like that. Um, I say for pentacles, I, I also say resources. I say it's like currency. So whether you use currency as like your time, your energy, your focus, your money, that kind of thing. Um, and then for me, wands and swords, they're both thoughts, but I say wands are, are like, um, almost like divine thoughts. It's like magic thoughts, like creativity and inspiration and ideas Um, or like airy fairy things like fantasy, whatever. And then for me, swords, I call them sticky thoughts. I'm like Mm. worry, anxiety, or like analyzing things like that kind of stuff. That's how I try, how I explain it to people. Yeah. Um, I would say that that generally makes sense uh, for the Smith weight system, it which is doesn't like what I use. Yeah. Right. It do, that doesn't translate as directly for the tarot de Marseille. And so the, the big differences between the two decks, um, that I've been hinting at and we can get into it now is, um, is in the minor arcana. So for the Smith weight system, you're just going to have to study them. Like there is no easy way about it. The each card is going to have such rich symbolism in it that you could spend a day meditating on that, just like you would um, the major arcana. And the yeah, the the visuals come into play big time. Oh the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they are cheat sheets, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like literally, like you don't need to become a master of like, this is what this means all the time. You really need to like focus in on the picture and let it speak to you because like, you'll notice something different every time you pull the same card. Absolutely. So, so yeah, Absolutely. that's, which is of course why I like the Smith weight system because I don't like being boxed in. I oh like to God. have a, have a okay. new one every time. Okay. <laughs> but continue. So yeah. that's different. So- to the Tarot de Marseille. Correct. So the Tarot de Marseille, because there is no symbolism on them, you literally just have a picture of the number of whatever item it is, like a picture of four swords or a picture of four coins or what have you. Um, It is meant to be uh, parallel to the numbers in the Major Arcana, through the filter of the suit. So aces, number one in um, the major arcana is the magician. So all aces are related to magician energy. Um, and then you you progress through all 10. Um, so having that, it gives a little bit more um, consistency as far as how to read them. Um, and because of the way the images are, you can't really read them reversed like you can the Smith-Waite system. 
Um, and we'll get into reversals a little bit more in a minute, but for the tarot dimmer side, if, if you're somebody who is, um, really drawn to patterns, if you, if you like noticing the patterns in readings or, um, like numbers really stick for you as far as, um, memory or, um, you know, anything that's like, if that's an easy way for you to understand, then absolutely go with the tarot dimmer side. I -hmm. like both. I personally read from both systems, but I find that tarot dimmer side is a better personal reflection and that the Smith weight system is better to, for readings that I give to other people. Mm. Like I always find that I go towards my Smith weight system cards for, um, readings, uh, that aren't for myself. And I always go to Terry Dimmersai for myself. Mm. So, yeah. you know, it, it's really a matter of, um, you know, personal taste and learning style. Um, but yeah, both are fun. I will say there, the difference, um, there is another difference between Tarot de Marseille and, um, the Smith-Waite system that lies in the major arcana. And that is that some of the numbers are different. So in Tarot de Marseille, um, justice is number eight, whereas in the Smith-Waite system, strength is number eight. Mm. And, um, are those two cards just switched? Is that it? Yep. That's it. They just switch between the systems. Um, in my stardust deck, it gives you the, it actually has both numbers printed. So you have two of the strength card and two of the, um, justice card. And so you get to pick which one you're going to go with. Um, I did not notice that the first time and accidentally pulled two and I was like, wait a minute why do I have strength twice? It's got two different numbers. And then it was like, oh, right. They just included ah. both of them for me to choose. But when you're reading Tara de Marseille, uh, typically you want justice as eight, um, hmm. just because that will translate. Are they, so are they eight and nine then? No, it's eight and 11. Oh, huh. Okay. Right. So anyway, so, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Why, why do you want it to be eight? Uh, because when you're reading in the minor arcana, say like your eight of pentacles will be the theme of justice through the filter of pentacles. Okay. Um, or like, you know, justice through the filter of cups or whatever. Um, and so eights you always read as justice. You wouldn't read them as strength. Um, Mm. So that's is, that's the the reason why that actually matters. That sounds good. So so when you're reading in the suits, um, obviously, like unless like if you're using like the Coleman weight system, Smith weight system, you've got the pictures to guide you. In the Tarot de Marseille, you've kind of got the major arcana to guide you of those numbers. So, what about face cards and aces? Because I I almost count. Aces is kind of like their own thing because they're not a number technically. So like for me, I always say aces are invitations and like, that's how I remember them. And then like, so that's my first question is like, how do you view aces? My second question is the face cards. 
are there meanings across the board with those levels of page, knight, queen, king? So I, I love this question. Um, I would definitely agree that ace cards, especially in the Smith-Waite system, are invitations. They are kind of like the purest form of that suit's energy. So an ace of swords is as concentrated and brand new of that energy. And it's when they show up in readings, it is always the start of a project and that sort of boundless, fervent energy that goes into the exciting uh, possibility of newness. So, um, yeah, aces, it's, it's just that really wonderful, unfiltered, raw energy of that suit. Um, for the face cards, this is, this is a really interesting topic. So, um, and this will kind of talk a little bit about, um, um, so this is an interesting topic and it'll, it'll reflect a bit on, um, the major arcana too, because I, I want to get into gender in tarot. Um, So a lot of these cards are very clearly gendered. And I want people to not feel uh, alienated by that. So in tarot, it, it has been read that or people have given readings where the face cards represent literal people and of that gender. So if you pulled a card, a queen card, for someone who is male identifying, you in the past would have had the reader say that this is a woman in your life Mm. who has this energy, blah, blah, blah. Or like with the Empress card or with the Emperor card, any of these very gendered cards, right? That they were traditionally read as that gender. I don't read that way. And Mm. I think that that does a disservice to tarot in general. So when we look at gender in the tarot, it really is more of a spectrum of energy, right? That you've got this uh, sort of yin versus yang, you know, um, giving versus receiving, dark versus light, you know, like it's really more of that sort of um, balance of duality than it is saying male or female. And when I am reading for somebody, when one of these face cards comes up, um, I will use the context of the other cards in the reading to see who I think this might be. And typically face cards will represent actual people. Um, You know, it could be a person in your life or it could be you and the value of meditating on any of them in a you know personal way is immensely valuable <laughs> and yeah. and you know you could you could hear 
the description of one of these cards and say, oh gosh, that's definitely me. Or "Mm, that really does sound like my mom (laughs) or whatever, you know, like it, it can, when you hear the description, you will know who it is as the person receiving the reading. Um, you need to trust your gut on that. And it doesn't matter what gender the card represents. It's really about the energy in that. So to get into it, to like kind of remember what the energy of each of them is, um, I, I find that this is the case across all suits. And then you just have the filter of whatever kind of energy is involved in the suit. Um, so the page is kind of that energy, that the energy of that kind of person who's brand new to something and so excited to learn and like kind of, you know, fucks things up because they just, you know, couldn't wait to get involved in it. And they're a little bit impulsive about it. And they're just super excited. Can't wait to start learning. Yeah. Like think of a literal page to a night. I mean, they're like learning at their heel. You know, they're having to like do the shitty jobs, but they're doing it with a smile on their face because Mm -hmm. they're just like so excited to be in that night's energy. Exactly. And then you have the knight who is brand new to their authority, um, who probably has a bit of an ego about it or is um, feeling more like a chip on their shoulder. No, not necessarily. No, I I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I would say that knight energy is the kind of person who has that um, unbridled confidence of somebody who hasn't failed yet. Ah, um, okay. So it's not necessarily that they have a chip on their shoulder or that they think that their their shit doesn't stink. It's more that they haven't experienced the um, beautiful humility of failure and that um, that humility is key for um, positions of more authority and, and royalty. Uh, yeah. Right. And it's, it's also like energy for stages of life, but also yeah. energy that we all experience no matter what stage of life we're in. Like there are people who have night energy who are, you know, teenagers. There are people who have night energy who are, you know, in their seventies, it's, it really depends on, um, you know, who it is and why and and what the rest of the reading is saying. It kind of makes me think of this quote that I heard. It was, it said, um, a knight in shining armor is a man who hasn't had his armor fully tested. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's major knight energy. So, um, after that you have the queen. And the queen and the king, as far as, you know, this confidence level goes, are the same. They are equal players. There's nobody answering to the other in tarot. Um, And this is where we can, like, break down those, like, gender myths here is the distinction between the two. Yes, absolutely. And I think that really getting into the energy between them in tarot is immensely valuable for how we view authority, mm-hmm. um, like our own authority and then um, the authority of folks that we interact with. So the queen energy is very um, 
behind the scenes confidence. The queen, um, when she'll come up in readings for people, will be the kind of person who doesn't want their name on the project. They want to see it succeed. Um, and to the point where they they don't want the attention for it. Um, they just want to have the influence. Um, and it's incredibly... Um, both cards are going to be very fair and judicious, but the queen wants that to be sort of like the person pulling the strings that you don't see. Mm, yeah. Whereas the king energy is someone who is going to be the face of something, who has that sort of perceived authority and understands not only the responsibility of that, but the dangers of it, right? That that they're the ones that's held that are held accountable. Right. It makes me think there's a quote in My Big Fat Greek Wedding where the mom is explaining to her daughter, like she's going to ask her husband for something and her daughter is just like, what the fuck, basically? And she's like, um, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. Mm. So she's like, you know, you're like the queen, like the head is the, the king is the head, the queen is the neck. The, the queen is the one who's actually doing the turning of the head, yes or no. The king, but the head is also a part of that, but he's the face that you see. So when it looks like the head is being turned, it looks as if it's all him. Right. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, and I mean, we we all need to model that energy for both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. In different times, you know, there are times where it's appropriate to be the person who steps forward and says, I don't care what this does to me. You know, I don't care if this, you know, is going to fail. I am putting my name on it because this fucking matters. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's major King energy. Um, whereas, you know, there are things where you say, I don't need to, have my name all over this. I just need it to be complete and on its own able to stand. And I want to put my energy in and it doesn't matter what happens after that. Right. Kind of like and seeing it. like the moral, the moral high ground and like being more committed to like the bigger picture rather than your own individual credit. I think that that's, I mean, technically that's that big picture thing is really the case for both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's one is the sacrifice of ego, Mm. right? That the queen kind of sacrifices ego for the mission. And one is sacrifice of self, which sounds like it could be the same thing, but sacrifice of self means that like you take on the responsibility of you you're you're getting the brunt of the reaction so whether it passes or fails you're getting the credit for that right exactly and so there is authority in both energies there is sacrifice in both energies and really like where that comes in and how that plays out is going to be informed by the other cards in the reading 
Yeah. So you can see how like gender would get tied up in that, especially in the past, but there's no need to bring that in anymore. No, there really isn't. Yeah. And a lot of decks will start to um, like play with what gender is. Like I know that um, in the Wild Unknown, Kim Kranz uses instead of page, it's daughter, instead of knight, it's son, instead of queen, it's mother, and instead of um, King its father, which still mm. is very, very tied to gender, but it takes some of the royal energy out of it. Yeah. Um, and then there are decks that completely remove gender and approach them in in other ways. Um, for me, I find that using gender as allegory is very valuable in translating the energy that's involved in it. But I can also understand people not wanting to have that. um, Those labels. Yeah. The labels that lens on it. Um, But so long as you are able to communicate the energy in your reading, read it how you want to. Um, But Yeah. Yeah. yeah, know your audience, just like anything. Know your audience. Well, I know there's another difference between the Waits or Smith Waite system and the Tarot de Marseille. And I know it, you know it, we both know it, but I'm going to let you explain it so we don't go off on a long tangent. This is already long enough. So, can you please tell us about reversals? Yeah, absolutely. So, first and foremost, I want to say, um, for cards that are reversed, uh, it is completely optional if you want to read them that way. And I would say if you're brand new to reading tarot, don't read reversals just yet until you're comfortable with the meanings of the cards. But um, And what I mean by reversals is that the card will look upside down, which will be obvious when they're illustrated um, in the Smith-Waite system. And the Tarot de Marseille, it's not... you're there isn't going to be a reversal because it just looks like a deck of playing cards. And no matter which way you turn a card, it's going to look the same. Um, so in the Tarot de Marseille system, the minor arcana does not read as reversed. Um, so if you feel like doing reversals and you want to learn that particular method of reading, um, that's going to be in your Smith weight system. And they uh, for me, I typically will read reversals as like um, an internal journey. So instead of taking the meaning of the card um, at face value, you translate that energy as um, a shift inside your mind um, or a shift in your experience or something more internal that way. Um, some people will read them as a re- literal reversal of that energy. Oh, for example, in the Smith weight system, you have the three of swords, which represents just absolute utter heartbreak. You, you right. already know this card guys. It's the one that's a heart with three swords in it. So it's, it's yeah. kind of like the death card. We see that, that imagery in a lot of places. Right, right. It comes up quite a bit, especially in anything that has to do with tarot, and it's a romance movie. Um, (laughs) Or, like, if you've seen The Love Witch, that card comes up a lot in The Love Witch. Um, And so, yeah, it means just absolute, utter heartbreak and suffering. And if 
you want to read reversals as the reversal of that energy, you would read that as finally turning the corner and getting over it, right? That you are over your heartbreak. That person can get fucked. Like you, you, you've lost that energy. You are not going back. It's, it's done. Right. But if, but you have the option to take a look at that energy and really think about it more internally. Um, and it's really a matter of choice and context, you know? So that's, that's what I'll say on reversals. You can do them if you want to, you don't have to, and you can either take them as a literal reversal of the energy or as an internal journey. I think that's a really good way of putting it. I, of course, because anytime I start do any, doing anything, I have to um, do it a thousand percent off the bat. I started with the whole shebang. I was doing reversals. I was trying, I was making it way harder, but I learned the system that way, just journaling on it. So it like, like I said earlier with when I would pull a card every day and journal on that theme, if it was a reverse card, I would journal on like, how was that internally? How was that the opposite? Like just explore all facets to that. Yeah. I think that's super fair. I also started reading, um, just like right out the gate with reversals, with everything, making it as complicated as possible. Um, because when, when I picked up my deck, that was how you did it. You weren't taught options. You were just, uh, you were just given, this is how you do it. There you go. Yeah. But, um, and that's, that leads us into a good topic, which is, um, really, learning to read and making tarot your own because everybody's practice is going to look a little bit different. And how I read cards is totally different from how Kaylee reads cards, which is different from every other person who reads cards. You have to kind of come at it from your own energy. So um, the first thing I want to talk about is buying a deck. I know there's a myth out there or a superstition rather that all tarot cards should be gifted. Yes. (laughs) I think this is bullshit. I'm assuming you think so as well. Take it away, my friend. I literally only have one deck that was gifted to me. Like it, it's definitely bullshit. I will say though, if you are gifted a tarot deck, that is really, really, really beautiful energy. And like, that's special for sure. it's It's so special. And the person who gave you that deck, like every time you read from it, you're going to be thinking of them and that, you know, there's their energy in it. And you get to take that into all of the readings, the fact that they thought of you with it. And it's, you know, it's great. Um, I will say that there is also a energetic benefit to getting a brand new deck that nobody has touched. Because if you are using a deck, like I would never pick up any of Jesse's cards and try and give a reading with them unless like there was a very explicit conversation and the deck was present for it. Like I really do treat decks like people. And you may think that is super crazy, but it's it's a relationship that you're building with your deck. It it doesn't matter whether or not you really like believe that it's another person. It's, you know, there, there's a connection and a bond with it. And 
Um, you know, I personally believe that my decks each have personalities and, um, you know, when I get a new deck, I learn their personalities, but when you get a deck that's been used by another person that another person has given readings with, you are picking up that energy from them and you have to cleanse that deck. Um, so it's not like a, like a never, it's more just like, say like you inherited something from your grandmother, your mother, like something that where you're like, that's special. And I want, and I want to like use the cards my grandmother gave me, you know what I mean? Like something like that. Um, like how would you go about cleansing that? So, I mean, if it's something like, like if my grandmother had gifted me a car, a deck of cards that she gave readings on, I might not want to cleanse it. I might just mm. want to create like a new bond with it because um, that's inherited. And inherited mm. decks are are a little different than like gifted decks. Like say you go to um, or your friend goes to an antique shop and gets an antique deck that they loved the imagery for. Um, but, you know, it's definitely been one that's used and you don't know by who. Um, yeah. Okay. That's a better one. Yeah. By whom? Um, it, what you'll want to do, this is what I do. Um, and I just generally do this with decks that are new to me. Um, is you will want to find some way to cleanse it. Um, my method is smoke just because it's easy to use with the paper or the cardstock. Um, so I will take incense um, or herbs on like a charcoal and pass each card over top of the smoke so that each card has the energy cleansed away. Um, if I feel like going the extra mile, I will set the smoke cleansed cards in a circle of salt and let them sit that way for an hour overnight, whatever I feel like. Um, that's if I'm going like super duper overboard. Um, but typically a smoke cleansing is enough. I have had a deck that had some really intense energy attached to it that like to the point where I couldn't give readings with it. And that one I went next level with and I actually buried it for a moon cycle. Um, oh, wow. to, yeah. To dissipate that energy. So like, I, I I would trust your gut on it if you feel like you've done a couple readings with it and you are like not connecting at all and you just want like a hard reset, you might want to consider that. I, I just took it in like, you know, a um you know, a Ziploc bag of some sort. Um and I put it in um I buried it in salt, like kosher salt. Um oh, okay. you could literally bury it in your backyard if you wanted to, because like earth energy will dissipate anything, um, except nuclear waste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do don't dump nuclear waste in a plastic bag in the earth, please. Yeah, don't do that. Because I know you guys have so much on hand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so um, that anyway. that's really interesting. Yeah, because I um, yeah. I take it very seriously as well. Like the do not touch yeah. my cards thing. Um, yeah. One time, like one time my cards are spread out from a past reading because I'm a slob and I move on from things and forget about them. 
and Ian made some kind of joke and he was like, oh, what's my future? And like touched him. And I was like, I must have given him such a look because he was like, uh, um, was I not supposed to do that? And I was like, do not touch my cards unless I have told you you can. Like, oh my God. I was like, no. It just wow. like immediately I felt so protective. Like, don't touch my yeah. child. Like, right. what? Right. Yeah. My child did not consent to that. How dare you? Yeah. Um, I, I actually can't think of an instance where I let somebody read with my. Well, you made yeah. You have major um, don't fuck with me energy. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't. I can't imagine anyone touching anything that belongs to you without, like, <laughs> permission. <laughs> so that's probably why you don't have a story. Um, I have a Fair baby face, enough. and I'm way too nice. So, of course, that ha- has happened in the past right. to me. So. Right. Of course. Um, so how do you approach – how did you – do you feel like you approach buying your first deck differently than your subsequent decks? I mean, like we talked about how your first deck, you were 11, you just wanted any deck. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know for me, it was kind of the same, even though it was like 27. I was like, I want a deck and this is the deck I like the most. And, you know, that's, but when I got my second deck, it was still chance with my second and my third deck. Like my second deck, I was like, I, I stumbled upon it on Etsy and I was like, oh, I need that. I need that in my <laughs> life. And so I made my best friend Regina buy it for me. And then the same thing with the Dali deck. Actually, when I heard that Toshin was doing a reprint, I was like, <gasps> and I was like, Regina, buy it for me again. For like Christmas. <laughs> One was my birthday present. Another was my Christmas present, different years. So, so but how about your you? Deck's gifts? No, no. My first one I bought for myself, but it's ah. funny because the second two were gifts. So even Amazing. though I was like, that's bullshit. I still, it still happened to me. So, right. So um, I, yeah. So tell us about your process. I would, if you are listening to this and you want to buy your own first deck, um, do not put a ton of pressure on yourself. Just go pick the one that the images look the best for. Like you turn over a card and you can't wait to see what the next one looks like. Mm -hmm. Like just approach it with that energy. Do not think so hard about it. Um, Because getting tarot decks is like getting tattoos. You could get one. But you'll probably end up with like 10 or 20. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And you want to love it. Even like you want to love it. That's just how it is, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I would say approaching a first deck, just go based on imagery. You know, go with something where the the pictures on the cards just, you know, you you can't stop looking at them. Um, And then for me, I mean, decks that I've bought – tend to fit a need that I don't realize that I have until, you know, I, I go to look for a deck and I'm like, none of you guys are, are really quite fitting it. Um, mm. So like I, so I had my Handsome Roberts deck that I read on for years and years and years and years. And it was the only deck that I had for like well over a decade. And um found that I had grown tired, for lack of a better word, of how 
heavy a lot of the imagery is. And I really, I wanted something pared down and I wanted the challenge of reading without the, the crutch of symbolism. Um, Makes sense. So, so I went out and looked and I found the Dreslin deck and it was perfect. I mean, it, it fit everything that I was looking for. And I, I mean, I looked for a good while. I was weighing probably like two or three different decks. And, and as soon as I saw this one, I was like, Oh, that's the one. Um, and then, yeah, I, I pretty much every deck that I've purchased in recent years has been something that um, I like energetically needed something. So my Stardust one, I just wanted something that would fit in my purse, um, but that image-wise was um, still pared down. And then I wanted to play with Tara Dimmer Symour, um, you know, because I had been reading with the Smith weight system for so long and, um, you know, because I'm, <laughs> my approach to life is how can I minimize this more? <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. Um, how can I make this simpler instead of more complicated? Um, so yeah, so then I came to that one and, um, the Pagan Other Worlds one, that one was kind of different. That one called to me more than me finding that I had a need. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for, for subsequent decks, I don't really have a process. Um, I do buy decks based on need, but I don't only buy decks based on need. Um, and then, yeah, first deck, go with your gut. Just look get something that you love looking at. Yeah. Now, um, I think we should bring up spreads because I think that's the next thing that people want to know when they start reading tarot. Cause I think what we're most familiar with is the giant 12 card spread. Which oh gosh. The, the, Kel- that's yeah, the, Celtic the Celtic cross. cross. Yeah. yeah. But like you do not need to do that. And when I started out, like that's what I was doing was this giant ass spread. And then Kaylee being my uh, tarot teacher was like, you know, you can like pull three, like that's fine too. So I was like, oh, what? And like, that's basically exclusively what I do. So yeah, so there are as many spreads as there are decks, right? That you could find a spread for literally anything. Like there are spreads that are specifically about careers. There are spreads that are about, like arranged for specific moon phases. You know, there's a spread for everything. Um, But... If you're new, if you're not new, it doesn't matter. Everybody can benefit from a three-card spread because it is so customizable and easy to interpret. So um, a three-card spread traditionally will be past, present, future, right? And we're not in the business of future predicting. Um, So when you look at it that way, it's really more like, what have I experienced where am I sitting now? And what sort of thing can I try going forward? Mm, right? Yeah. It's more of something to meditate on than like a literal prediction. Um, but you can you can use the three-card spread and translate it different ways. So one of the spreads that I really love doing, I've had um, a lot of clients who have gotten readings with this that have just absolutely loved the perspective is your first card is what you think is going on. Your second card is what is actually going on. And your third card is what, if anything, you can do about it. And I know that you have a 
a three card spread that has kind of like a, a it's similar very similar sort of flavor. Yeah. 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 My, mine is, um, it's like basically like, where am I? What's blocking me? And like, what do I need moving forward kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is very similar to that basically just that in a, in a, it's like a similar flavor. Yeah. Um, the one like for mine, I think that, and this kind of translates for both of them is that you're including sort of this, okay, this is shit. I'm not thinking about, oh, I should have thought about that. I'm so glad that that was pointed out to me energy. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, kind of the whole point of tarot is that you're trying to to think of perspectives that you wouldn't have thought of, you know, without the guidance. Um, another way that I really love to use the three-card spread, um, and this I usually do for, like, personal meditations, but I have given it as a reading for other people before, and the the impact is, is very powerful. Um, your first card is Mind. Uh, your second card is body and your third card is spirit. So yeah, yeah. It's super, super juicy. So you, you check in with the state of your mind, you check in with the state of your body and you check in with the state of your spirit. And I typically do these on full moons, um, just because like it's good reflective period and listen to, um, our moon phase episode to, to get a little bit more of an idea as to why, I would want that on a full moon. Um, but it's it's just a general good self-check-in. Um, on a daily basis, I do one that's fairly similar where it is um, – my first card is my thoughts for the day, kind of like a theme for my thoughts. Um, the second card is a theme for my feelings or emotions. Um, and the final card is a theme for my actions, what I'm doing. And so I will pull those every single morning just to get kind of an idea of what the flavor of my day is going to be like. And then I'll think about like, as I'm experiencing something like, oh yeah, that does have that, that energy to it. Or how does that energy, you know, help me through this, you know, particular hiccup in the middle of my day or whatever, you know, it's a, it's a good way to, um, to kind of check in with yourself during the course of a day. Um, I would say if you're brand, brand new, just pull one card. Yeah. Pull one Tarot card. journals are super beneficial, like just yeah. one card every day. Yeah. Um, and what's cool is when you make a habit of this, you'll find that like you'll per- you'll pull like no matter how many different ways you shuffle, which we should discuss as well, um, you'll pull the same cards. It's so funny. Like you'll oh, start yeah. seeing themes in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, like how do you shuffle? What's your favorite way for shuffling? Is it just so, like a dealer shuffle? That depends on the deck. And it's really um, more of a practicality mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, So true. my my Dreslin deck is humongous. The cards are as big, maybe slightly larger than my hand. Like they're big cards. So I, I have a very specific way that I shuffle them because like you don't want them toppling out of your hands and like, you know, crashing to the floor. Um, you know, you want to be respectful of them first because you don't want to bend and, and, you know, break the cards. But second, because, you know, you treat it like its own entity. Um so, yeah, so for that very large deck, I have a, a particular process where I just kind of like um, layer back and forth 
with it, mm-hmm. um, which is hard to describe and easier to show. Um, but at any rate, uh, some of my decks I do shuffle like a, like a dealer. And yeah. uh, then others I'll um, kind of split back and forth and shuffle like a dealer or I'll spread them out. You know, like I'll, I'll actually do several different shuffling methods in one shuffle. Yeah, I actually do that too. My favorite way is like the messy pile. You just spread <laughs> them out. You like, my goal is to like touch every card in that sense. And I'll do that every yeah. once in a while. Not as much now, but you know, after a little, after I've done a few readings, I'm like, all right, I got to like kind of get my energy back in there and yeah. touch every card and try to mush them all around. Uh, but it's literally called the messy pile. So messy piles are anxiety inducing for me. <laughs> 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 yeah, not me. My whole life is one big messy pile. So, <laughs> so I feel very at home. But yeah, the, it's harder for me with um, like, I, I think I have to do that because the dealer shuffling for me, I have like tiny baby hands. So <laughs> like I can use, I can do it with cards that are um, like typically typical size cards. But even that, like I have to break them in a few times in order to be able to do that. So yeah. So it's a little harder for me. Um, do you subscribe to the belief that if a card kind of falls out or or turns over while you're shuffling, that it's a message? Oh, yes. Person? Yes. Me yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you have one card that just like, for whatever reason, pops out and not that you like dropped your whole deck and that that one is, you know, facing yeah. up more that like, it just like came out on its own accord. Yes. Take that card, make a mental note, put it back in, go back to shuffling and kind of use that as like an omen card uh, to give a theme to the entire reading. And then if it comes up again in the reading, when you actually pull the cards for it, then it's just like, you need to listen, (laughs) listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a good note too, when you're reading, um, from the sheer fact that there are so many more minor arcana cards and major arcana, when you do get major arcana cards in a reading, they're kind of like neon lights, like, hello, I've got a very important message you need to listen to. Yeah. Something is like, like major life event happening here. Shit is um, afoot. Yes. And it, it, in a reading, it may not necessarily seem obvious at first what that is. And for a lot of us, like you don't really get that perspective until it's hindsight, right? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I really was going through that. Holy shit, you know? And you don't know until after the fact. But that's the nice thing with tarot is that if it comes up, you can say, oh, where in my life, where might I be actually learning this lesson right now? Um, So, yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So Yeah, a major arcana is going to be like like an exclamation point in your reading. I like that. It's an exclamation point. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so when I read, so I try, like, I try to, this is more when I do card pulls. Like, so if I'm reading for uh, an audience of people, whether like I'm entertaining and people are over or I'm online doing a card poll for people, um, I will try to tune, I will try to use my gifts first before, like without the tarot. Um, so I'll try to like channel a bit first. So for me, like I'll hold the card and meditate on it before I turn it over. 
And this is something I usually recommend for people who are starting out because I think that there's a lot of power. You will find that like your, um, your mind, spirit, intuition, whatever you want to call it, will naturally like connect to the card you end up turning over, which is really cool. I mean, that might be a little bit advanced, but I like doing that because I think it helps you connect to your intuition better when you're reading. And yeah. that makes, and that reminds me to tell you that like whatever you see or think, like whatever pops into your head during a reading, it's correct. Even if it seems to be the direct opposite of like the quote unquote, like traditional meaning of a card, like it's your job as the reader to bridge the gap between your understanding and what you saw to that like traditional meaning. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. And, um, one thing that I will say too, is that in a reading, um, the cards are going to be talking to each other. There is a conversation happening. So one thing that you'll want to do, especially if you've got, um, symbol rich cards, like the Smith weight system, um, is look at like the direction the characters are looking. Are they looking at the card next to them? Are they turning their back to the card next to them? Are they looking down at the ground and not engaging with any of the other cards? You know, like, oh, yeah. like pay attention to what is actually happening in the cards and create a narrative between them. Um, because I mean, like, you know, hearkening back to the history of what this was when it was a card game, you know, there there are stories to tell in here. And mm-hmm. And they do, I mean, like they do resonate when you tell them that way. Um, and it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I, You'll see, I rem- see when cards are either having conversations with each other or purposefully avoiding each other, you know, and, and that translates to what people are experiencing. Yeah. Um, my story on this, I think the most, the most powerful thing that happened when I was doing one of these readings early on is that I was doing a reading because I I can't remember the exact circumstances, but um, there was some tension going on and it was like with me, Ian, his mom, it was more like me being like, um, feeling like, I don't know, like a little possessive over him. Like I felt like we were both being a little possessive just because we love him a lot, like nothing awful. And I was trying to like, and Ian is British, so, you know, there's no reading his mind. So, especially as an American, that's just not happening. So I was like, where's his mind at? How is he feeling? And when I pulled the cards, it, the visuals were, it was a male figure between two women, both looking at him. And I was like, oh, oh no, I was like, oh man, like we're making him feel torn. And like, it immediately clicked for me. It was like a man between two women. And I was like, oh man, we're making him feel torn. And so I just backed off. I was like, okay, I need to like, not like, we're both these really strong, badass women. Um, so obviously he has great taste, but <laughs> I was like, oh man, our personalities are overwhelming him and like taking over. So we, we need to back off. So I just like, you know, did that myself. I was like, I got to back off and let him feel his feelings and make mistakes if he wants and whatever. Like I just got to mind my own business in my relationship, which, you know, if you're a strong, independent person, everybody needs that advice to take a step back once in a while. Yes, it's fair. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. but that's a, a good example of like, you know, looking at the spread as a whole. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that's, that's, and that's like, 
Yeah, that's where the art of reading tarot cards comes from, is it's not always just about like the traditional meanings. It's about what you see. It's about what the person you're reading for sees. Like a lot of times I'll I'll ask somebody, I'll be like, do you notice something here? Like I, I see them looking at a particular card and I'm like, what's standing out to you in this card? Because a lot of times their intuition is just as important as the reader's. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think that's it for my advice. I think, well, what resources? Let's talk about that. So people who are starting out or trying to deepen their practice, like, do you have go-to resources that you like? Yes. Yeah. So there are two in particular that I love. I use frequently. I wish that I had access to them when I was first learning. Like y'all are Mm. so lucky with the internet. (laughs) I know. Um, So Biddy Tarot, B-I-D-D-Y, Biddy, we'll link to it um, below. Um, Biddy Tarot has one of the most comprehensive and absolutely just beautiful explanations of the cards. It is Absolutely. An invaluable resource. It's just, I mean, amazing. Um, It is like the be all end all of tarot resources, honestly, but she's, yeah, she's amazing. And she has a podcast. Yeah. So good. 10 out of 10. Got to go. They also have um, various different spreads available on the side. If you want something to play with, Um, you know, like go for the three card read, but play with some of the bigger ones. Um, so yeah, Biddy Tarot, definitely highly recommend. And then Labyrinthos. Um, so there's an app, um, when you buy a deck of cards from them, they'll have something that, an app that partners with them, but they also have a tarot school. So if you want to go and have like, sort of like self-guided school taught, you know, sort of structure, labyrinthos is definitely the way to go um it's so it's so good it i mean like i'm very much like jump in feet first but this but the school is awesome it it goes um they take it card by card you learn i think like three at a time it's really it's fantastic so it's well paced and i mean you're the one in charge so you can like learn as fast or slow as you want exactly and these are both free options totally free totally Totally free free So definitely use them. They are tried and true, definitely tested. They are very, very good systems to um, to learn this with. Yeah, those are my faves. I will also add Pinterest is a great place to look for spreads. Like you wouldn't expect it, but they have so many spreads there. I actually, there's, there's two spreads that I found from Pinterest. And one of them is actually the um, spread that I use to get to know my decks now. So it is, um, it's a three card spread. So super easy. Um, you guys can definitely do this after listening, but your first card is, um, what like asking like you being the deck, um, what do you have to teach me? And then the second card is what should I bring to you for reading. And then, um, the third card is what will our relationship be like? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been really fantastic to get to know my decks. Um, it's yeah, just a wonderful way to sort of say, hello, this is me. Who are you? Um, and then another, uh, spread that I found on Pinterest that because we're, 
you know, millennial mystics, this is definitely going to be required. I found a spread that is based on the craft, like the characters. I can't, it's absolutely hysterical. So it's a five card spread that lays out like a, like a Christian cross. Um, So you have three cards down the middle and then two cards that sit on either top. So your Sarah card at the top is going to be your inner power and your strengths. Your Nancy card is going to be your self-destructive quality. So all of that shadow energy that, you know, you have to embrace, integrate it, face it, deal with it, work through it. Face it, embrace. Absolutely. Bonnie is your past emotional and physical scars that you need to let go of in the present. Um, Rochelle is what makes you uniquely beautiful. And then at the bottom, kind of where everybody's sitting on top of, Manon is a message from the spirit or the deity. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's actually a really nice spread. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. I like it. Um, my, the one other resource I would throw out there, um, for anybody who feels like they want to read a whole book before they start any kind of hobby, which like hashtag relatable, um, Mm -hmm. is kitchen table tarot. And I'll link to that as well. I forget who the author is. Um, but she basically, the whole reason it's called kitchen table tarot. She was like, I learned tarot at my kitchen table and I taught people tarot at my kitchen table. So she teaches it in a very relatable and accessible way. It's also a great book like that works as a gift. So that's like a cutesy little gift for somebody who's getting into it. So if you have somebody who's into it, get them a deck and that book. I do have a book that's um, that I still need to read, but has been recommended um, called What the Fuck is Tarot? And yeah, I haven't read it yet, um, but I do know that it is um, like a hilarious option, but also gets into a lot of the things that we were talking about today, like, like gender in the tarot and, you know, a lot of these um, various systems that look oppressive when you look at the tarot first glance. Um, So yeah, definitely. I can't wait to look at that book. Um, Has been recommended to me by somebody who is just a phenomenal tarot reader who you guys will eventually meet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, check that book out too. And Kaylee, do you give readings? Like, Can people come to you for a reading? Yes, please do. Come find me. I'd love to read for you. She's at, if you want a reading from Kaylee, she's at the Sacred Spectra on Instagram. Yes. You can find her there. So go yes. hit her up. Her readings are money. She's given me readings before <laughs> and they're always so good. Thank you. I I, yeah. I mean, I certainly hope so. I've been reading long enough. <laughs> yeah, they're good. They're good. Yeah, I do them as well. So if you want to come talk to me, I have those available. I'm just J underscore De Silva. Yes, definitely get on Instagram. I- We've traded readings back and forth, and Jesse will gas me up, but Jesse does really great readings, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm never given bad messages. I'll give you um like some gentle suggestions, <laughs> but there's never anything bad. So, yeah. Anyway, I think that's all we have. I want to hear from you guys. Like, do you guys have spreads that you go to, or like? you know, what was your first deck? I want to hear all about it. So yes, if you have decks that I need to add to my collection, please (laughs) let us know. I'm looking for an Oracle deck and I will say I'm looking for a deck that I can do. That's a little bit simpler than tarot. So I want something that's going to be like, 
you know, something that's kind of to the point that's not tarot because I don't want to have to memorize anything else. So, mm, mm-hmm. so that is my right. So if you've got a suggestion, please let us know. Yeah. If you've got guests, you've got anything like if you're an artist and you've made one. Yes. Yes. Please tell please us. Show us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so come find us. You can find us on www.millennialmysticspodcast.com and our email is witchplease at millennialmysticspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Millennial Mystics, on Twitter, that's mmysticspod. We're, wherever the social media is, we are there. We are there and you can find all of that on our website. Special thanks to Jack De Silva for our dope-ass intro music, Lindsay Allman for our transcendent logo and cover art, and Hope Clinton for her superb audio editing. Tune in every Friday for the latest episode, and don't forget to rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.